Welcome to the Wags of SEI podcast, where we discuss all things life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury, hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Our partner's spinal cord injuries is what brought us together, and our common bond as caregivers to quadriplegics is what helped us to create the advocacy group, Wags of SEI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission is to spread awareness and positivity from our unique perspectives. So join us as we tackle deeper discussions around sex, travel, mental health, self-care, and finding balance as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Wags of SEI podcast. Here we go. Welcome back, you guys, to the Wags of SEI podcast with Elena, Polly, and Brooke Paget. Thank you we, for tuning in. We're super excited to have very special guests on today. Cassandra Jensen. She is an international model and artist, um, and she's been all over the world with her career uh, modeling. And her partner is Eric Hawk. So you may know of a band called Portugal the Man. Um, he's the guitarist for the band, but he also happens to be a T4 complete paraplegic. So we're welcoming them on today with open arms. We're super excited to interview you guys. And we were so thankful that you guys came on the show today. We're going to kick things off real quick um, with a question that I'm pretty sure everybody's dying to know. Drum roll. So this question is actually for Eric. We would like to know, what is it like to be dating a super successful model? (laughs) It's super awesome. You guys, you have no idea. The cliches, the cliches of a musician dating a model, they're all true. It's a... (laughs) <laughs> it's it's the best. She's incredible. And I, I think it's really complimentary with both of our lines of work. Um, when we're home, we're home. And when we're out working, we're out working. And I think both of us sort of leave this like nebulous, changing, you know, uh, switch your schedule up at the drop of a hat kind of schedule. Uh, so even when there are surprises, there's no surprises. She she's so she's so gracious with her time with me, and uh, we just we just fold into each other's schedules like that. It's it's great, perfect. Wow, incredible! Aww. That's it. Sounds like you guys have a pretty good system going. This is something Brooke and I both were wondering too. We're like, what is it like to constantly be on the road traveling and then coming home? And then you have, of course, amazing Cassandra there with the pops. Now, do you guys um, do you guys split your time in Seattle and Portland or do you have a home base? Uh, we have a home base. The home base is Seattle. Um, that's where Eric found a gem of a house years ago and where we kind of make our home. But we do have a sweet little spot in Portland that Eric's at more than I am, but I definitely try to kind of hop down there with him. It's well-located. It's full of awesome restaurants right nearby. So I feel like when we're home in Seattle, it's very, we're not leaving the home. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of takeout. It's a lot of dinners at home, a lot of movie nights. But when we're in Portland, it's lots of dates and fun, early happy hours and kind of, you know, switches up our lifestyle. That's not to say that Portland does you know, date nights or restaurants better than Seattle. <laughs> no, it's just that no. We, we've, got, we've got a home in the country in Seattle and we've got a studio apartment in the city in Portland. So it's really fun to be able to kind of operate in both worlds. No kidding. I, awesome. I love both those cities. And you guys are actually quite close to us here in Vancouver, which is really cool. 
Mm-hmm. Big ups. Yeah, we hope to meet you guys someday in person. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just get into Cassandra's story because we met um, we met Cassandra through Wags of SCI online, mm-hmm. and she has always been such a champion for wives and girlfriends of spinal cord injury. And we weren't actually aware that she was with Eric for a while, and we kind of kept it in the dark just to respect your privacy because of the you know the nature of your relationship. And we were always just so delighted to speak to Cassandra every time we talked to her because she would participate in our private group. She was just such an advocate for self-care, for just helping your partner and finding solutions to the problems that you know, our partners come across, not only our partners, but us as well. And I just, um, I wanted to, to have Cassandra tell us her story. So how did you get into the modeling industry? What is your, what is your story in a, in a short, in a short snippet? Yeah, well, first, thank you so much for the kind words. And um, I mean, I love talking to you guys. It's been a huge, nice kind of friendship to build, you know, while adjusting to living back in a city that's kind of new to me again. Um, Anyway, uh, so I started modeling when I was about 15 years old. And I quickly started traveling. I lived in Sydney briefly, in Paris briefly as a teen, and then kind of settled in Seattle then permanently moved to Europe in Berlin for about six years and kind of finished that whole chapter in LA for a little bit. And, uh, it's had its ups and downs. I've had, you know, jobs based in Seattle for years where I've been kind of in a more of a corporate kind of realm. And then I've had years where I'm on a a red, red eye to Africa or France or New York and shooting at 8am that next day. So it's been, you know, a very drastic life. And it's Mm -hmm. taught me a lot about just adapting and, you know, not having such a rigid idea on like what my daily life looks like. And it's made me really cherish what's important to me. And, Hmm. um, end of the day, it's amazing to walk big runways in Paris, but it's also important that, you know, sometimes that world can be isolating and you're away from people too much to create really good bonds back home. And end of the day, those bonds are, what stick with you, you know, walking down a runway doesn't. So it's made me really value the choices I make as I go into my next chapter of life and how to keep that adjustment. Amazing. Yeah. I know when we spoke to you on the phone the first time, Cassandra, we were both so, cause you know, there's that stigma about models. Like, you know, the industry in general is just, it's, we've heard that it's rough and it's, it's very superficial and it has like a stigma associated with it. And after we talked to you, we were just, wow, this girl is a gem. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you just have such a, you're so mindful and you just have such um, a beautiful view of life. Yeah. I mean, the industry is full of pressures, you know, your everything is about how you look and how you come off and how you agree with other people's ideas and what they want you to do. You kind of become a puppet in ways with that said, there's also incredible people in the industry who are incredibly loyal and have stood by me through every single stage of that I've done in modeling. They've waited for me to be at a place that I want to be, whether I'm all in with it or I'm dubious about it. Um, and, you know, there's also some there. I think that the industry creates a lot of superficial people and a lot of pressures. And it also can create some really strong people who Mm. fight for, you know, just acceptance in all beings. And I think it, it's a pretty drastic, you know, scope of people. Um, there's good and bad, like with everything. So sure. I think you made a pretty decent point there at the very beginning when you said that 
being on the runway is not what you take away with you at the end of the day. And I think that's uh-huh. actually something to be, I mean, that's huge. That's a, that's a very huge acknowledgement even to our listeners where, you know, even with social media, we have to kind of be mindful and remind ourselves that like what you see on the outside is not necessarily what's going on on the inside. And especially with social media and comparisons between basically everything that you see posted is like, this Uh isn't necessarily real. (laughs) This is just an idea. This is just an image that we're trying to portray that I think it's so huge when you, when you say, you know, what really matters are relationships at the end of the day. So this is why we have you on. We want to hear all about your relationships. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one thing I will add to that quickly also is I feel like you know, even at my youngest, most modeling, hardcore shaped skincare, everything just is about that looking good. Mm-hmm. I still had to be photoshopped. Like that is, I want women to know that like models can't even live up to being a model. So right. it's, <laughs> it's good to keep that in mind. You know, I actually, I remember, I forget which interview it was. I heard this though. Um, somebody said, even models don't look like themselves. Even models mm-hmm. don't look like models in real life. And you're totally right. That is something to be really cognizant of for our listeners. And even for us knowing that, you know, life isn't this perfect image that, you know, society has created for all sorts of reasons that, that it's like, it's okay to not be perfect. It's actually kind of cool to be original and different from everybody else, right? I mean, for for the record, my girlfriend is super hot. <laughs> yes. There's no arguing that. <laughs> she is. She's striking. And Cassandra, you're like, you're six feet tall, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I am. Interesting. Yeah. Glamazon. Glamazon, right. <laughs> uh, Eric's a lucky guy. Um, yeah, let's, we wanted to ask Eric, actually, just about mm-hmm. your, Eric, what is your story? How, first of all, we'd love to get into your injury story, how you became a pl- paraplegic, but also how you got into music. Totally. If you want to get into that, that would be amazing. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm going to try and not paraphrase everything that Cassandra just said about her industry, because I do feel like there's a lot of overlap, like being on a stage isn't what you bring home with you. Um, kind of supplant stage for catwalk and there's there's a lot of crossover but her pressures are so much more on herself mm-hmm. where I've just kind of like you know wandered around from group to group tribe to tribe um, band to band and found my role and found my place within all that um, but I've been you know long story short I've been doing some version of this for for 20 years or so and uh, you know moved from a little town in Alaska where I played music with everyone that I could, you know, uh, talk, talk into grabbing an instrument with me and in forming groups. And from there, you know, we started forming bands that would sell tickets and play shows. And I kind of realized that I was running out of uh, a captive audience in my town of about a thousand people. So, um, just kind of made the choice to, to move to a city and try and find more people like me. And I've, I've been pretty lucky ever since with that. Um, but again, like growing up in Alaska, uh, you do a lot of Alaskan kind of things, uh, mm-hmm. West Canada for all you Canadians, um, <laughs> you know, uh, just growing up, I, I, I did so much stupid stuff. I, I would jump my bike into rivers and I would jump headfirst into lakes and I would climb up mountains and, you know, try and jump as far as I could off the top of them and all kinds of crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, um, my injury came about from being at a barbecue at a friend's house, um, here in Seattle, um, up on Capitol Hill and just kind of being in a yard and falling into a hole that their neighbor 
had dug along their sort of property line, along the shrub line um, where I was standing, um, unfenced, un- unmarked, just kind of like an amateur addition. They were they were digging out a foundation for an addition on their home. And for all the crazy stuff that I did growing up, uh, what what ended up, you know, getting me T6 through T4 and ultimately for all intents and purposes, severing my spine at T4 was about a 12 foot drop into a hole. So not, not, not the craziest thing I've ever done, but certainly one of the most impactful things in my life. Wow. No kidding. That is definitely the most impactful. Isn't that interesting (laughs) though? Um, I, both of us actually hear a lot of stories like this coming from our partners and from people that we know, um, saying, you know, I've done so many crazy things in my life. Why was this lost? last thing the thing that paralyzed me and i think that's kind of like a crazy male ego thing too like you want to be like i was surfing down a volcano (laughs) you know or like a a great white shark came out of nowhere and like you you know you want like some crazy war story story, right but at the end of the day what gets you is what gets you so yeah that's (laughs) that's pretty wild and you knew right away that you were paralyzed obviously I did. I was awake through the whole thing. Um, I I actually woke up in the middle of my surgery. They got me in that night and I, you know, I, I sort of came out from the anesthesia and, you know, had my face down in the donut. And I just remember looking around really quick and seeing all the light and all the white coats and kind of struggling and then hearing sort of a clamoring in the room. And I went back under, but I was awake in the, I was awake in the ambulance and I was awake, you know, in hospital admission and getting into the ICU. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I watched enough Grey's Anatomy at that point to hear, you know, severe spinal trauma, um, you know, uh, sensation. I heard all these buzzwords getting thrown around and I kind of knew what was going on. So can I just ask, did you feel any sort of pain, um, like from like the moment of your injury and so forth. Do, do you recall having any kind of pain? I had a, a crazy flash of light and I, I had uh, four broken ribs and a collapsed lung. So that's what was really kind of, kind of hurting me. Um, but I was also, you know, pretty cognizant of the fact that I couldn't move um, pretty much right away. But I did have a, a huge moment of pain and a, and a giant kind of flash of white that happened out of all of it. And I've talked to other people that have kind of had similar injuries that, that give similar stories, but I, I don't know how to describe it beyond that. Wow. Wow. That's very, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, me neither. <laughs> one of us have sustained a spinal cord injury, but you know, that's such an interesting perspective, something that I don't think we'll ever be able to understand. Ourselves. Yeah, I'll tell you all these injury stories. They just they don't get any better. It's just you never really know what to say. I did have a, a giant group of my friends, you know, within 25 feet. So mm-hmm. um, from there, you know, everyone that was at the barbecue kind of came down to where I was laying and made sure I was I was with it and talking and communicating and being with my friends until health showed up. Um, so I, I have my community from from minute one, basically, it was pretty, pretty beautiful. That's amazing. And how did you find the rehabilitation process? Uh, I mean, how does anyone find the rehabilitation process? It was, you know, there was extreme moments of difficulty, but at the same time, um, I went straight into one of the busiest trauma centers in the world, um, at the beginning of summer. Mm -hmm. And I kind of realized, you know, I, I, I realized 
how fortunate I was to have not hit my head, to have not, you know, mm. had a had a had a more you know up, uphill climb or a brain injury or yeah because I I was surrounded by people that were relearning how to do things that were so much more heroic and monumental than you know me learning how to tie my shoes again it was mm-hmm. it was right. it was it was a really inspiring place mm-hmm. to be and I was I was there for a while like we all are mm-hmm. um, you know rehab rehab takes takes a sweet amount of time. Um, but I, I mean, I kind of still think of myself as being in rehabilitation. Um, you know, I'm, yeah, it's never ending, is it? I'm, yeah, I'm 13 years out, and I'm still figuring out how to do things. You know, um, and I, I, I think I think all of us are right. Like, aren't we all just trying to figure out how Absolutely. to do things smarter and not harder all the time? <laughs> for sure, for sure. And I think that Brooke and I talk about this all the time. Is even injury or no injury it's like if you're not trying to better yourself you're not really living right it's like it's something that everybody has something to work on whether it's your mental health Mm -hmm. or the way that you you know take on challenges situations and especially when it comes to like a physical challenge on top of that that's it's a never-ending process and you wake up in the morning and you're like today is going to be a little bit different than yesterday (laughs) right I mean that's that's absolutely right that's absolutely true of course. And not only that, it's like, you know, the maintenance, like maintaining your muscle, maintaining your your flexibility, making sure you don't have pressure sores, making sure that you're, you know, generally healthy to maintain, you know, your body now. Right. It's just it's crazy. Let's get back to you. So you're a rock star <laughs> at music events, having these gigs, you see this hot yeah. babe in the room. And you're like, what's up, girl? No, let us know. So how did you guys meet? We need to know. <laughs> you're not you're not far off on that Uh, Cassandra you want to take the reins on this one I mean yeah sure I I mentioned earlier that I started modeling at a really young age and with that I actually did a crazy thing and my parents let me move into a studio apartment in the city an hour or so away from them to model in the city of Seattle uh, in between traveling so I was a 16 year old to 18 19 year old living you know going to all the old ages I could all the old ages shows I could go to I just couldn't get enough music and so probably like maybe 15 years ago um Eric was in a band the lashes for a while and I was going to a lot of their shows with a lot of mutual friends we just ran in the same circles of course though I was a baby I wasn't really hanging out and like partying with these people I just was aware and knew them and I just remember Eric always just being like, everyone had something positive to say about him. Um, For example, when I started dating him, I was living in LA and all my girlfriends, you know, are like bulldogs for me and wanted to know who this guy was. And I was like, you know, go fly to Seattle, go into any cafe, any venue, any bar, and you say Eric's name and you're going to get a smile and a positive reaction. And that's just, you know, his energy kind of always stayed with me. And we just always kind of vaguely kept in touch. We both did our own things, both had our own lives, our own relationships. And then for some random reason about, you know, a year and a half ago, um, the good old Instagram <laughs> worked in our favor. And a friend had tagged uh, Eric in a, in a post of her son dancing to one of Portugal the Man songs and I just was like, wow, I don't know what this guy's been up to lately. And uh, kind of fished around and we started talking and 
I don't know. I guess here we are living with two dogs in Seattle. I, I feel like I might be leaving something out, babe, but see, she says like, she says, oh, I wonder what this guy's been up to. I kind of forgot about him, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's the case. Like I, I, I went to Germany, you know, I, I toured through Germany so many times while she was living in Berlin. I probably played Berlin five or six times while she was living there. And every time, if I didn't, you know, actually reach out and be like, yo, what up, girl? Um, I definitely, <laughs> definitely thought about her and associated her with that city. And there were a few times where I, I did reach out and I was like, hey, we're playing Germany. And I was kind of like, oh, it'd be really fun to meet up. But, you know, she she had her life there and I was, you know, in town for one night only. And it, it just wasn't the right time. It didn't make sense at that point. But I was I was always sweet on the girl. <laughs> oh, that's really, really sweet. It's funny. Instagram comes through again to connect people. Elena and I right. met on Instagram. You guys know that. Mm-hmm. You guys connected again over Instagram. It's just so powerful, the good that, that social media can do if totally. you allow it and you're in the right yeah. space, right? No, she, uh, she liked about a dozen of my photos in a row after uh-huh. that thing. And what do that they call was that? What do they call that? Stalking? No, no, it's like fishing or something. They, there's a word for yeah. it. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's spelunking. She she put me on she put me on blast and and by 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 gar I was I was ready for it. I, and I was, then he slid into my DMs. Oh. I did. Oh, there we go. There it is. Sneaky, sneaky. That's very cool. Perfect. Thanks for sharing that with us, guys. That was really, really, really endearing um and it's also actually good to hear for a lot of um our listeners that you know we get we get so many messages throughout the day from men being like from males coming in being like hey find me a girl like how do i get a girl and a lot of people think that you can't find a partner after spinal cord injury that's not the case in fact uh, roughly i would say about half of the uh following that we have have met their partners after the injury and it's it has more to do with the kind of person you are than the injury, we both say. Of course. You're, like Cassandra, yeah. you're talking about about Eric's energy and, and his magnetism and how he just attracts people wherever he goes. And it's so true. Like we find that with a lot of men in the community who've kind of just embraced the injury and said, you know what, now, if I can't have my full physical body working in my favor, I might as well develop the other sides of my personality and just kind of work with what I've been given, but make the most out of it. I wanted to ask you guys about Cassandra, like when you were first talking to Eric and you realized Mm -hmm. that this was something, did the injury intimidate you at all? Did you have questions for him or was it just something that was irrelevant? You know, I mean, I, you know, we didn't know each other very well before his injury, but we knew of each other for sure. We had been introduced a couple of times, been in the same room multiple times. And, um, I was with friends that got text messages that Eric was injured within an hour of him being injured. I, you know, it was, it was in my orbit, you know, in, in my world. And, um, I, I always, I mean, he's, he, yeah, he, he says that he thought about me. I, I mean, I thought about him too, but we both moved on and lived our lives, but he always, I always kept a sweet spot for him, you know, just as a human and as a person. And, um, so for me, when we started, it was very clear that there was something going on when we reconnected. Um, and I had questions. I was curious and, you know, I kind of dove head first doing my own research. Um, our first kind of date was a very, I was living in LA and he's, he was in Portland a lot for work. And so I went up to Portland for us to kind of spend time together and explore what this is. I think we were both going into this, like we felt like this was something and we didn't want to necessarily 
beat around the bush or play coy with it. We wanted to explore it and figure it out, you know? And so before I went to Portland, I dove head first into just research the internet, the, as much as I could get in, get info, I got info. And I knew from the beginning that every injury is a snowflake and you can't, it's not across the board information at all. But I, I, I even wanted to understand, okay, like I know he drives with hand controls. What does that look like? I, I, I got to the point where like, even going to Portland to see him, I knew to not jump in the car right away. I didn't even, he didn't even have to tell me, oh, can you wait a second? Like I knew to wait for him to break down the chair and put it in the back seat. Like I just tried to just be so informed that our first moments together didn't really require a conversation about it. I just wanted us to just be a new couple in that moment without him needing to feel that vulnerability. She a hundred percent did. She, she did her homework. Um, she made me feel super comfortable because I always feel like, or I guess at that time, like going into any kind of a relationship, I felt like I had to carry that kind of disclaimer with me, you know, like I'm going to have to educate and explain, you know, instruct patients and stuff like that. And with Cassandra, there was none of that. It was, you know, I picked her up all cool in my car with my chair in the back seat and the passenger seat ready to go down. But then when it was time to get the chair out of the car, she stepped out of the car, flipped the seat forward and just kind of let me do my thing. Like there was no conversation about it. Um, and also I had, I had only been living in that neighborhood in Portland where our studio apartment was for a really short amount of time and I didn't really know the neighborhood yet. So the first, the first journey that we did out into the hood, I ended up accidentally hooking a left up this kind of, you know, slow, steep incline where I was clearly struggling oh, no. um, on like a warm day, but she didn't, you know, she respected my space. She didn't jump in there and be like, let's push. It'll be fun. <laughs> it was more like, uh, I was like, I don't know what's up here anymore. And she's like, you want to go the other way? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> we also got um, the car stuck in the sand on the beach the Ooh. second day as well. Tell that, tell that second story. Day. You, you should tell that story. That's a yeah. good story. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes, so we, we, uh, so I go to Portland. We have a great first day together. And then the next day he's like, let's take a drive. Like you haven't lived in the Northwest in a while. Like you want to see it? I'm like, hell yeah. So we went to um, St. Helens for a drive, and then I just really was craving to see the Washington coast. It's just a very, after living in Berlin for years and being in LA, it, I just, I needed what the Washington coast is. It's a very unique feeling. And he was like, yeah, babe, let's do it. So he, you know, we started driving out to the beach and, you know, he wanted to give me the best show he could give me and you can drive your cars out there, but you need to also maybe have a car that you can <laughs> depend on getting through sand. And, uh, so we got barely maybe six, eight feet into the sand, I think. And, uh, of course the car stopped and, you know, he tried, I just stayed really calm and just let him kind of work the wheels and see if something could happen. And it got to a point where it was very clear that, it, we weren't moving. And so oh he gosh. just kind of looked at me and I looked at him and I think I just squeezed his hand and said, okay. And I got out of the car to assess the situation, you know? And I remember that being just a really important moment in our relationship and really showing us the foundation of how we both work in a 
unperfect scenario, mm. you know, and, and me not getting overstressed at him or resenting that this kind of became the bulk of my, you know, the bulk of it went onto my shoulders in those mm-hmm. first moments and just kind of going with the flow and finding ways to like be sweet during it and intimate during it and laugh. And I think it just proved a lot on our connection and our patience with each other and acceptance of each other. And I know I'm getting a little off course of the actual story, but we were there for quite a while. And oddly, the first people to come up to offer to help us ended up being from Anchorage, Alaska. And one of them used to work with Eric's mom. So no it kind of ended up being <laughs> a really weird moment and uh, a really solidifying one. And it, I, I don't know. It, I think it just... That's proved massive. a lot for me emotionally. Uh, another one, another one of the people that showed up in that group to help us out was actually um, running the catering for a, a, a pair of shows that our band had as kind of a homecoming show um, at the kind of the end cap of this big long stretch of touring that we had done uh, was going to culminate in two shows uh, in October in Anchorage at, uh, at a big was, arena there, which was like two weeks after this event was happening. This like. So, yeah, 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 just like right around the corner. Um, So she's like, oh, you're Eric in Portugal. Uh, We're going to be catering your show in a couple of weeks. Like, can't wait to see you both up there. And at that point, you know, um, Cass and I had only really been looking at each other for 36 hours in the (laughs) eye. Um, But that was sort of the moment where it was like, yeah, you should you should be part of this. You should come up and meet my family and wow. all of my friends and all of my white trash cousins from Alaska. And like all of, <laughs> you know, come come live the life, babe. Come 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 see what it's like on the other side. Um, but yeah, it was that 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 whole that whole trip was an exercise and in, in intimacy and vulnerability and also every we just kind of realized that every little bit of adversity that we stepped into ended up kind of being hilarious. Like mm-hmm. we found ways to crack each other up so hard. I laughed harder than I've ever laughed when I was stuck on that beach. Just like, ah, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> and let me add to you that our first few days together exploring all of this new emotional energy was also when he was living in a studio apartment. So not only is that just, I think, adds intimacy to anyone, Mm -hmm. but especially with everything, you know, there there was no hiding from each other and that goes both ways. And I think that that was a really huge testament to us learning about each other and, you know, just embracing the chair, even without necessarily having to fully go into that conversation yet, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and the one thing you asked me if I've ever had any kind of fears about it, I no, I've, I've been all in from the beginning. I do have moments where I think I get a lot more upset about inaccessibility or ableism or anything than that than he does sometimes. Cause mm-hmm. he's had 13 years to kind of like let things mm-hmm. get roll off his back. But you know, I, I haven't. So I get a little spit fiery. I get a little bit more annoyed. Uh, you know, I have moments where if we have a really bad hotel situation or a really bad travel day, which when we had a terrible day, one day flying to Boston that I, you know, break down sobbing because I just, I I look at a man that I love so much. who is so strong and so generous and does so many things for other people, even just with his presence and just the fact that he can't, you know, they gave us a hotel room with a bathroom he can't use. Just, it just makes me want to burn people down. And I'm, 
I love it. <laughs> you know what? You say 13 years of experience that he's had that you haven't had. Uh, I mean, both of us were with our partners like the day of their accident. So we still feel that way. And we've, you know, our partners haven't processed anything longer than we have. But I mean, both Brooke and I are constantly like we're activists in terms of letting people know what's up is not cool. Like this mm-hmm. whole inaccessibility issue like for instance dan and i have lived in the same place for four years now and i've been asking for an accessible door opener for my partner because he can't get in or out of his out of the building he sits there in the rain sometimes until somebody comes and opens the door and finally this week i said you know what i have a lawyer and it's time for us to get this done it's been four years and you're totally right dan will call me he's like you're being a psycho about this right now i'm like no (laughs) i'm not being a psycho this is a this is a genuine human right to be able to access places like, mm-hmm. you know, and only a quad wife or a para wife or somebody who loves somebody with with a disability really, really gets it. Like you said, you see somebody you love who's this beautiful person, but they're suffering, but they're not able to do things that the rest of us can do because because of ignorance and because of inaccessibility. And I get very fired about this, too. Yeah. And that's part of the reason yeah. why we started the group in the first place is because strong women have powerful voices, especially in today's climate. And it's just we have something to say and we get stuff done and we're not afraid to voice our opinions. And we've got our our guys backs. Yeah. And, and I think with that, too, I think end of the day, if you're an empathetic, sensitive person, Yes, you need to put your your own oxygen mask on before you help others, whatever that quote is, and you need right. to have self-care for yourself. But I think end of the day, I know Eric can stand up for himself. He's incredibly like to the point person. He's incredibly he faces things and he is so independent emotionally and physically, uh, but I, you know, there's things that he has to stand up for me with, Like he, there's things he has to be my, you know, pit bull in the fight, you know, he, because I think it's easier to be there for other people sometimes than to be there for yourself. Like you don't want to be a burden. It's so much easier to fight for someone else than it is to fight for yourself. Mm -hmm. It it is. And, And Cassandra does that beautifully for me. Um, for myself, I'll put up with anything until I can't take it anymore. Um, but I will. I will go through some ridiculous scenarios and situations. So it's nice to have somebody to, to to fight for you and to point out the fact that, hey, you shouldn't put up with that. That's ridiculous. It's nice to have um, perspective too, right? Somebody else, it's like once, I always use the quote, like if you're one of the trees in the forest, you don't necessarily see what's going on because you're in it, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's just nice to have somebody else come up and be like, hey man, that's not cool or hey, like what's happening here should really not be happening. You should have free access. You should have an easier life. Living life in a wheelchair can provide and uh, make things really, really interesting, right? So that kind of leads us to our next question. We are going to talk to you, Eric, about a touring in with yeah. a disability and your experiences with that. Would you be willing to share kind of a snapshot yeah. into that? Of course, I was I was kind of heading there um, yeah. with my with my follow up. Anywho, um, you know, I don't want to name names, but one of the first homestands I ever really did with Portugal was uh, I'm just going to name names. It was the Vogue <laughs> Theater. It was Sorry. the Vogue Theater in Vancouver. And I, I loved the Vogue and I had played the Vogue many times, um, you know, as a able bodied guy and a in a pop band, you know, over the years. And uh, I really, I was really excited to do two sold out nights at the Vogue. Um, But when I did it with Portugal, I realized that there was no access to the stage, no access to any kind of green room, no access to anywhere really inside, except for 
uh, the merch area where I would get mobbed and then kind of had to go back out in the rain. So this was two years ago. It was in February. Um, I pretty much spent out of those 48 hours for those two nights uh, at a sold out theater. I probably spent 12 hours of those in the rain in February in that alley behind Granville. Um, so it's, that is unbelievable. You know, and you know good, what? I'm and, really glad that you named names because I don't know if you know, we have uh, the Rick Hansen Foundation here in Vancouver. Uh, he lives here as yeah. well, and he's in charge of a lot of accessibility um, laws, as well as our ex-mayor, Sam Sullivan, was a quadriplegic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, and I, I did. I did know about that. Yeah. And and again, with with the Vogue, I know that they have ADA seating on the front side yes. of the venue. I know. I know you can go there, go to a show, have a good experience. I, I'm not sure if they have accessible bathrooms. I, I imagine they do. Uh, but at the back end, you know, it's a I, they they built that thing during the war for mm-hmm. you know for for talking pictures. It's it's a it's an old historical theater. Uh, that could stand some updates, but I'm, I, I was probably the first person that needed that kind of rolling access onto the stage. And um, I think, you know, the venue did what they could to, to sort of get guys out there and sort of, you know, fireman carry me uh, you know, up the stairs and onto wow. the stage and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's, it's a, uh, I think in that moment, they kind of realize like this might be this might be a problem for more people down the road. And also just kind of as a side note, um, I'm going to I'm going to sidetrack and take it away from me for a second. Like pretty much all of our all of our gear that we travel with in these trucks and these trailers and everything, pretty much all of it's on wheels. So if I have a good day, my crew's going to have a good day because everything's going to roll straight off the truck, straight up onto the onto the stage and up onto ramps and and all that. So it, it for for these old theaters, like change can't come soon enough for the sake of like everyone that tours and everyone yeah. that works for a touring band. No kidding, that's so important. And do you find that this is a problem in in lots of cities? It's, I mean, you can't, you can't really count on anything. Yeah. Like I, I, I did for, for years, I would Google every single venue that I was going to weeks ahead of time. And, you know, like you do like X theater name, wheelchair accessible, you know, Mm -hmm. X theater name, ADA X theater, you know, and I would like look on Google street view. I would see if there were thresholds. I would see if there were steps. And there were venues that I would see, you know, some sort of staircase up into and I'd get really freaked out and I dread playing that show a week ahead of time. And then I show up and there's an elevator. It's no big deal. And then there were other there's other venues where you look at it and the website says that it's accessible and there's little blue wheelchair icons everywhere and everything seems groovy gravy. But that only applies to the front half of the venue or for very specific seats. And then backstage, it's an orchestra pit and it's a nightmare. So I've just kind of learned to uh, expect the unexpected a little bit. I I keep a pretty detailed database of the places that I've been. um, And our our production team and, and our management has just gotten better and better and better in terms of advancing what my specific needs are. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible at this point to go play a festival and just see ramps everywhere and see ramps into all the backstage access and all the green rooms. Um, there was one time where we were, 
like our green room was basically this giant warehouse space and they had put a porta potty inside the warehouse, which I just thought like a, a giant, you know, accessible wide door and porta potty inside the warehouse, which was incredible, but it was also gross. Right. <laughs> so, I was gonna, that's what I was thinking too. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's getting, it's getting better every day. I, I feel like part of my mission right now is just kind of showing up and if they got me covered, great. If they don't, um, let's let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation about it and see how you can do better in the future. And how do you um, feel, Cassandra, when he's talking about this? Like when he goes on tour, how do you feel about all this? I mean, you know, I it's there's days where he calls me and he's you know stuck in an alley somewhere and he can't get in, and there, you know, there's issues and no real way for him to like have a really smooth day. And of course, like I don't like it. Of course the bulldog in me is sitting at home, like Mm. not happy. Um, the other part of me, you know, knows that with any travel in this situation is there's going to be obstacles and there's going to be things in the way. And there's going to be days where the aisle chair for the plane just hasn't shown up and, you know, you have to kind of advocate for something, but I would like to think that, you know, eight out of times when you travel or he goes to a venue, it's great. And two times it's going to suck. And with how much he travels and how much he goes, like you're going to run across hard times and I hate it, but I can't, I feel like that's, I don't know. I feel like the, also the issue with historical buildings is there's so many people, especially people in arts and in creative industry and in music that want so badly to fight, to protect historical buildings because Mm. so many cities are getting demolished and turned into cheap, you know, manufacturing corporate buildings. And that's depressing and you lose character of a city, but I don't Mm. like the idea that historical buildings are so protected that we can't make it better for other people. Anything that's accessible for Eric, it's accessible for everybody. Right. Like, like a, a ramp doesn't stop me from going into a room. There it is. That's yes. exactly right. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? Let's like, I just kind of had this thought sitting here listening to this is let's backtrack for a second to make this applicable to everybody, not just wheelchair users, mm-hmm. people who know somebody um, that has an injury. You know, it's like, let's say here you are, you jump out of bed. And you kind of in your mind have already assembled what your day is going to look like. So you expect to go from A to B to C. You get in your car, you drive, you go to work, so so on, so on. Now, picture uh, like 10 things going wrong that day. And think about your mood overall. Mm-hmm. Like things go bad and they go sideways and you're just like, man, this sucks. And like how horribly like you can choose to feel or be very resilient and persevere. And this is the life of somebody who's using a wheelchair where, you know, 10 things do actually go wrong within a day. It's never a smooth transition. Brooke and I talk about this all the time, how nobody, if you're not in it, you just don't get it, how accessibility is such a huge problem. And Mm -hmm. not even accessibility. Let's talk about all the other aspects that come along with having a spinal cord injury in terms of anything right blood pressure um we're talking about being able to utilize a bathroom when you need to all these things but this is the reality for people that that are using chairs and how can we as a public come together and be more mindful of this and and change policies and regulations and 
Like you said, these historical buildings are beautiful, but you know, like anything in life, it's time to kind of upgrade. It's time to move on. Policies are there to be challenged. Things are there to be, you know, make changes to, to make mm-hmm. life easier for, for everybody. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, th- I think there are, there are venues and there are theaters, um, you know, out there in the world that kind of beautifully blend the two worlds and, like just off the top of my head, there's a spot, I believe it's called the Palace Theater in St. Paul. Uh, same kind of thing, beautiful carved wood, you know, Victorian era, uh, 400 year old theater that's in Gothic St. Paul. It's it's absolutely incredible. It's stunning. Um, but on the back end, it's, it's all fresh. It's all new. It's all, you know, these these big, beautiful bathrooms and these great smelling, incredible, clean green rooms and elevators every which way and no thresholds and fresh pavement. Um, it's absolutely incredible. So there, there is a way to kind of blend the character of these existing places and sort of bring them into the 21st century and make them accessible for everybody. Mm. Um, I think it, I don't know if it's a legislation issue. I don't know if it's, you know, sort of different city to city, state by state, country by country. Um, but again, it, it just kind of comes down to that fact that with everything I do, it's a, it's a total crapshoot. And I, I've, I've gotten to a point where, you know, all of our, all of our drives that we do are overnight drives. Um, when we're in, when we're in the bus, it's two buses and two trucks and we're, we're driving overnight every time. So, you know, you play a show, bus calls at 2 a.m., you go into the bus, you fall asleep, you wake up in a different city, and you're in front of the venue. And I've got guys in my band and guys in my crew um, that, you know, wake up. uh, They're like, I'm going to go get you a cup of coffee and I'm going to go suss it out. Mm -hmm. Especially if it's a place that, you know, none of us have ever played before or maybe, you know, one of the guys in the band has played before, but he doesn't remember what it's like from a, from a wheeled perspective. That's great. Um, so I'll, I'll get guys that'll go in and usually about 15 minutes later, they'll come back with a steaming cup of coffee for me and it's either good news or it's bad news. Yeah. <laughs> and, That's amazing. Uh, uh, just a little side yeah. question here for our interest sake. How do you get into your tour bus? Uh, I get fireman carried in and out every single time. Wow. Yeah. Well. That's oh the, my God. Uh, maybe maybe your listeners can help me out or maybe you guys have some insight into it but just the number of people that we need to carry around in in our tour buses quick side note we don't own a tour bus we we rent our tour buses every time because you don't want to own a tour bus they cost a million bucks and then they depreciate to 50 percent of that the second you take them off the lot yeah every oil change is like 35 grand and they don't where would you you store it (laughs) yeah where would you put it and they don't age well i'm telling you there's a huge difference between like oh this you know it's like a five-year-old tour bus that's been out there on the road a little bit but it's still nice but then every now and then you'll get the 10 year old tour bus yeah. that's got a million miles on it. And like Muttley crew was in there last month <laughs> and you know, they, they don't age well at all. Have you ever rented an accessible tour bus? Like do those even exist? Like with a hydraulic lift? They don't exist for the number of people that we need to, to have sleeping on it. Yeah. Um, we need, we need about 12 bunks per bus wow. and that just, you can't the the thing with the hydraulic lift is it takes so much space yeah. out of the sleeping areas and then like you need to get a bathroom that you can do 
basically, uh, I get fireman carried up into the front lounge. I live on a vinyl bench and I pee into bottles. And, uh, you know, in the best case scenario, we get a bus that's wide enough that I can kind of put my chair together and sort of, you know, snake my way from front to back. I can kind of get to the kitchen area and back to like my little bed area. But it's also, you know, I'm, I'm not on that thing typically for most of my day. Most of my day is in the venue or in a green room or like going to radio stations, doing press in advance of the show that I'm playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when I'm, when I'm on that bus, it's a, Again, kind of like the venue, it's either good news or bad news. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. It's just great that you have a community on there that is willing to help and that it is catering to if you need help. I got I got bulldogs everywhere. <laughs> That's great. That's really That's good. good. It's really you good have to hear. To. Well, we wanted to talk more about travel. Have you guys traveled together extensively yet? Uh, yeah, we haven't gone international yet, babe. We're about to go to 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 Hawaii. We are about to go to Hawaii. But yeah, we travel. um, If he has a show, kind of a one-off show that's one or two days, I definitely try to jump on the road with him. Um, I love traveling. It's been my whole life. He's been traveling. We've both been traveling for a long time. And so it's kind of in our system. Um, we travel a lot and it's, it's the same with everything he's in about the venues. It's some days the travel is smooth and everything's easy and other days it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, Cassandra, I remember we, when we were talking um, a few weeks ago, you'd mentioned a story about a car that was sent to pick you guys up from the airport. Would you mind sharing that with our listeners? Oh yeah. It's so funny. Cause to me, that's just so much of what I hear his day-to-day going through, or that's what I see him going through that I, I, I honestly brought that story up, not even thinking it was going to get a reaction. And you guys were like, uh, what? That's crazy. Like, oh my God. God. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like every single time. Oh my God, God. Get it together, it's, guys. it's always a, a, a Tahoe or an Escalade of some sort. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we, most of the band landed around the same time and we're waiting outside of an airport for transport. And, you know, and I feel like Eric's team is really good about requesting an accessible van. And sometimes it works wonders. Sometimes it doesn't. And this time was not one of those times. It was a Tahoe, I think, babe, or, um, but it was, it was like a suburban. Yeah, it's um, a suburban. And it had like the foot plate that comes down when you open the door, oh, which no. adds even more distance to the, the front farther seat. away from um, the car. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. go ahead and scamper, scamper your butt on in there. Yeah. Buddy. Oh, yeah. On so in. it's, 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 it's a couple people. We give him kind of a punch up to the seat and someone pulls the chair out while you do that. And hopefully it goes smooth. And then it's a Tetris game with all the luggage and the chair in the back and six more people to fit in the SUV. And there you go. (laughs) It's not interesting. Actually, Dan and I, um, when traveling, one of our first trips, it was like a year in, we went to PEI. And so our flight came in, um, I think it was at like one or two o'clock in the morning we arrived and we're waiting Mm -hmm. for a vehicle to come pick us up. Kind of the same thing that you're talking about. And this SUV shows up. And there is no car in sight. It's like you either take this or else you're going to be sitting there until like seven o'clock in the morning at this tiny airport. Mm. 
And honestly, it was something similar like this where I was like, I see the driver get out. He's like an 80 year old man. Mm -hmm. And then it's just me and just Dan. I'm like, how are we going to get this guy into this car? Like we're desperate. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. exactly that. I had to kind of hop into the driver's seat and grab him across the way, like lean all the way over to the passenger seat, grab him by the belt loops and just yard him in there. And Dan's a quadriplegic, Mm -hmm. right? So it makes for really interesting stories. However, it doesn't make for very good injuries for the partner no. taking care of. And it's always surprising yeah. to me because I think it's a common thing for people who don't know someone with an injury in a wheelchair that people think that you can get up out of your chair. Like we, we've we been asked that yeah. on so many instances. Uh-huh. Can't he just get out of his chair can for a second? Up for a minute? No. <laughs> every, every single flight. Every single flight and every single time that I, I travel, especially internationally, too. It's crazy. Um, but I, it, again, kind of going back to your story of the guy showing up with the SUV, um, at least he was willing to kind of wait and yeah. see if you guys could make it work. I've had yeah. people just dr- I've had people drive away from me, like oh look at the God. chair and be like, no. I can't help you. Yeah. Even the last time that I was in Iowa City, the the guy that was kind of running us around, that was he he himself was driving a crossover that I had transferred in and out of, you know, a dozen times just doing all these stops and all this promo. Um it was an early morning airport call for me. Um and we were staying close to the Des Moines airport in Iowa. Um, and I was like, so I got it on the calendar that you're picking me and a couple of the other guys up to get to the airport for our flights in the morning. Is that right? And he's like well, I think you should probably take the, I think you should take the, the hotel shuttle. I think that makes more sense. And I was like, well, I don't know if it's accessible. And he's like, no, it's got to be accessible. It's the law. They have to make sure it's accessible. Guess what? <laughs> Not accessible. So I wake up in the morning and I ended up calling an Uber um, and having to cancel Uber after Uber because it's Des Moines, it's snowy. So every every Uber that pops up is, you know, some kind of four by four thing. It's like Nissan Frontier, Chevy Tahoe, blah, blah, blah. Um, finally, I get like a Ford Edge, like a little crossover. And uh, I look to one of my guys and I'm like, I might need a little help into this. He might need to kind of push me up into it. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. I show up and uh, the guy stops and kind of glares at me and at the chair and turns to my friend and he's like how's he gonna get in here and i'm right there under him i'm like well if possible i'd I'd love to sit in the front seat and he rolls his eyes and scoffs and he's like well because you asked i have to accommodate you normally i wouldn't let people sit up here but yeah i guess so (gasps) so he opens the door and i'm expecting him to have like a suitcase or a bag or something up there in the front seat no it's completely open it's completely empty. That's a very interesting uh, interaction. I wonder where that's coming from. Well, well, then he tells me some story about, you know, how he had to go into someone's house once. Like when, when, once we're driving to the airport, he's telling me this story about I had to go into someone's house once and they asked me to push them. And then they were overweight and I couldn't get them into my car. So I just tend to not let people into this front oh. seat at all if I can help it. And I didn't really have anything to say to him in response to that. I'm like, I'm not that person. Right. And this is not that scenario. Right. I don't, I feel like a lot of people who don't know people with a spinal cord injury or don't know um, the inner workings of the day-to-day life that you face when you live in the chair, they blanket it all to anything that's a similar thing, you know, like, well, 
my grandma was in a wheelchair for the, you know, a few years when she was in a home, but you know, it's a medical wheelchair that she just needed help getting to the cafeteria with or like your, your like, grandma just had osteoporosis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think there's a lot of blanket statements and a lot of just, you know, anything that in their mind comes close to this reality is what they believe the reality is. They just don't want to, they don't want to think outside of themselves in that way. And I think, you know, and, and it's just, it, it goes even the same with people that are well, like have a well intention about it. Mm-hmm. Friends who say, oh, we'd love to have you over. Don't worry. It's only, it, it's totally flat in the house. It's just two, three big steps to get into the house, yes, but yes, the house is bingo. fine. Like, like, I think that there's, <laughs> it's, there's almost sometimes people who are well-intentioned and want to be inclusive and want to extend an invitation mm-hmm. that also don't realize, well, now we have to be stressed out about, well, the, the house is also on a hill. So we have to park on a hill and get to the house. And they, they don't realize that like sometimes that is also really stressful. Like we don't want to have that be our day. We don't want to have like yeah. that dread of like getting into a house with a couple of dudes helping them up a few stairs and then watching everyone slowly trickle away as the night goes on or have a couple right. glasses of wine. Now, like now I have to depend on less right. people that's to get a, out of the house. Yeah. Yeah, that's Getting, a good point. Exactly. And, and it, it, that, that kind of ties into my career, just playing concerts mm-hmm. and playing rock music, getting into places usually isn't too much of a problem. People will find ways they'll build ramps. Like people are strong, eager. Everyone's in the same spot. We're all coming out of the bus at the same time at the end of the night, who knows where all my guys are, you know, right. like everyone's spread around. They're at the bar across the street. They're two towns over with some girl they met, you know, right. like, and it's, uh, it's, it's challenging, but I think, I think babe, I think our, our best example of all of this is our very well-intentioned next door neighbor, mm-hmm. um, who lives in a similar house, except this one's down the hill at about a 30 degree angle. And because it's down the hill and the house is about the same level, it's up a flight of stairs. And I would say once a week, the guy invites me over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just come over like pal around like we'll we'll figure it out we'll get away my, my brother's here he's strong and it's like yeah, yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know that's it's it actually does create a lot of stress you know and i think that it's like yeah your, your brother's got a coffee cup of tequila i can yeah. see it. <laughs> and that's actually a really good point this is this is something dan and i and i think brooke and evie even talk about is like we've written a few blogs about this it's like when you go to your friends places that are not accessible what do you do and you know what it's it's the alcohol for sure and my partner will say this all the time like hey i'm okay getting in but end of the night do i really want a couple yeah big strong guys Mm. um carry me down yes maybe it's only three steps but Mm -hmm. they're wasted and not only that they can hurt themselves right and not only just you but themselves as well but yeah. also from the from my perspective, I there's been so many times that we've been invited to go to friends' houses with staircases to get down, staircases to get up, and different flights. And it's like you don't want to miss out on that experience. So you say yes, and then you go and you get carried down by it takes, I don't know, five people to get Evan up and down a staircase. And it's just it's not safe and it's not comfortable because for me as a caregiver, the entire time we were there, like Cassandra, what you were saying, the entire, just all I could think about was, oh no, how are we going to get him out? Like, yeah. I, I don't, I, I thought about it the yeah. entire time and it makes it so you're not really relaxed, you know? Not at all. And here's yeah. the thing for me is, uh, you know, when Eric's on tour, I, again, some days I don't get a, 
I don't get a rant on the phone. Everything went perfect and everything went great. But I know even if he's not telling me, and I feel like he also purposely doesn't tell me a lot of what he goes through to keep me a little level-headed and patient and okay and calm. But I know that he is getting hoisted all over the place and lifted and on and off many stages. And the last thing I want to put him through when he comes home is like, okay, babe, let's go to this inaccessible place. Like, no, like I honestly, when he comes home, I'm like, cool. I'm not going to bug you to go on a date or leave the house for a couple of days. Like Mm -hmm. just recover rest. And I've been, I've been dropped all over the world. It's like, I've I've been dropped off so many stages Mm -hmm. and dropped, getting up on the buses and oh. I've been dropped in Russia. I've been dropped in Canada, I've been dropped all over the place. It's oh not God. a fear of getting dropped. It's more just like, Hey, this is kind of unrealistic and unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Like, you well, know, if we, if we got to do it, we got to do it. But if it's just like, Hey, come up and we're going to, you know, we're going to watch Wayne's world in this house. That's two floors up. And there's a couple people you might know. I'm like, ah, mm. I might just hang out with my lady and, yeah. you know, <laughs> We're going to ask you guys, what, what are your favorite things that you, when you guys are in the same city and you're hanging out, what are your best things that you like to do together? Babe. Uh, (laughs) As I I sit on a bed with two amazing little sleeping pups uh, and we have a projector out in the living room, I'm like, well, that's kind of what we do. Yeah. Uh, No, but we, we love dates. We love good restaurants. Um, that's kind of our main lane we stick in. Uh, we love to go do on beautiful days in the Northwest. We definitely love to go do a three mile loop at a lake down the street, uh, Green Lake, which is really just nice. Just get outside. And um, but we're kind of homebodies. You know, we love going to shows. We love seeing our friends. We have a, fr- a good friend that work manages uh, some bars and he's always working on very certain days of the week. And it's fun to just be like, Oh, cool. Andy's going to be here. Let's go get a fun drink at 3 PM. Like, Oh, we just like to keep it very, I think sometimes we're really bad at planning because we both are so used to last minute travel and last minute events that we kind of just allow things to come to us. But what, is there anything you think of, babe, that I'm missing? I'm, I'm sounding yeah, pretty I, boring over here. No, <laughs> no. I, I, I think you're bang on. I think like one of the symptoms of this disease that we both have of needing to travel all the time and getting recharged by traveling all the time is when we're home, we're home. Mm-hmm. And home is home is so sacred to us. And I, I, I think that's I think that's it. I think our sensibilities and our sense of humor are so similar that we don't even need to have anything going on. We can crack each other up. My favorite thing to do is just to make her laugh uncontrollably. And I try really hard all the time. Oh, <laughs> that's really, really sweet. You know, what's interesting Over is you're talking top. about how travel is kind of your, your, your decompressor. You have to travel. I was going to ask you, Eric, what how, how does your body respond to this travel, like with your with your injury? Like, do you need time at home to decompress? I, yeah, yeah, yes and no. It's it's getting a little better. It's getting easier because um, I can kind of I mean, first off, I'm 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 hyper vigilant about, you know, if I'm doing damage to my body. And I would say pretty much once every stretch of tour, I'm going to tweak an ankle. I'm going to sprain an ankle or I'm going to, you know, get a little scrape here and there or. I, that's just the nature of getting kind of thrown in and out of vehicles that aren't set up for me or getting lifted in and out of my chair and jumping in and out of cars to do promo. Um, it, it takes a little bit of toll on it, but 
there's once you kind of hurt yourself in one place and you know that it's hurt you just like anyone else like oh, my, my right ankle's a little messed up I'm gonna lean heavier on my left one uh-huh. um, I just try and keep an honest assessment of what's going on with my bod mm. and uh, just you know I I, I'm, I'm my own full-time nurse and I just kind of have to make sure that I'm still plugging along and I'm not doing undue damage because there's not really like, I've never taken a sick day. I've never taken an off day with this fan because you kind of can't, that's the the nature of the schedule, but it's, it's hard on everyone else in the group too. Like, you know, running around like a crazy person in and out of, you know, multiple radio stations a day is not a natural way to live. Mm -hmm. Like, doing a 3 a.m. flight to, you know, get into a city at 5 a.m. to go on the radio at 6 a.m. and then play an acoustic show at 9 a.m. and then to play your show show and then to fly to the next city is kind of crazy. But that's that's a schedule that I've done before. Um, no wonder you and guys just want to mellow out when you get home, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and let me add, like, uh, <laughs> oh, this is insane. And, uh, you know, Brooke and I actually talk about this quite often, and, and I don't know if it's because of our partner's spinal cord injuries, but our perspectives on life and living have really shifted. Mm-hmm. And one of, what I mean by that is we are true believers in going with the flow. So that doesn't mean that you need to constantly stay busy to have a quality of life. Your quality of life no. time is is sitting in a room with your partner, maybe enjoying a glass of wine or or having a conversation about what you've seen on the news or what's going on in your lives or, you know, how to better yourselves. Those are the days where it's like you wake up, you listen to your body. And like you were saying, if you're feeling off, you just have that day and you're like, hey, I'm going to honor that and just really sit with it, I guess, is what I would say. Yeah. If I can add one other thing, I know it sounds like I'm super spontaneous and uh, <laughs> I am super go with the flow, but that that in itself is a product of, you know, me figuring out exactly what I need mm-hmm. in in situations where I'm out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, I was I was injured for seven and a half years before I ever toured internationally and kind of figured out how to do it. But before that, I was kind of touring with whoever I could, um, traveling with, you know, four giant suitcases and a rolling commode and like, you know, enough to stock a small hospital, um, in terms of just like what I need. And, you know, I insisted on driving myself in my car for every tour. And I even did that, um, for my first bit when I was touring with Portugal, I would follow the bus in my car and I would get hotels every night because I didn't feel comfortable that I, I wasn't confident in the fact that I could make it work outside of my comfort zone. But, you know, spontaneity comes from a place of confidence, like we'll be okay. I'll be okay. And for me to get there took years of figuring out like, how can I be okay in situations where everything goes wrong? And for that to have happened, everything had to go wrong a few times, a lot of times. Um, so it's all a product of just experimentation and sort of, you know, putting my head down and, and getting that fear out of your head that comes from the rehabilitation process. Cause I, I think, you know, warranted or not so much of what the rehab process is, is, uh, you know, looking out for like, Oh, don't do this or, or you'll get this. Don't do this or you'll get this. Like, you know, mm-hmm. even, you know, you think about like 
Friday night lights. It's like, oh, don't have sex. You might get a kidney infection and die. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that's ghoulish overkill, but that's right. kind of the general tone and tenor of, of what's typed into you in rehab. And I think it is good to be vigilant and it is good to to sort of have these safeguards for your own body and to protect protect yourself for for yourself and for the people that you love. But at the same time, um, I think everyone's different. And there's no one size fits all sort of treatment plan and long-term treatment plan for this injury. I think, you know, everyone's capable of things that they can't imagine themselves being capable of. And it's kind of up to them to figure out what that is, what those limits are. For sure. And, you know, one of the takeaways that we got from rehab um, as well along these lines is being in charge of your own care. And this is something that I say to Dan all the time. I'm like, nobody knows your body better than you do. Nobody knows what you need better than you do. And that is very important to keep in mind, uh, whether you're fresh out of rehab or not, being in charge of your own care. Sometimes I get frustrated with him and I'll start clapping. I'm like, be in charge of your own care. Brooke (laughs) thinks it's funny, but it's actually not. (laughs) It's actually serious. Um, You know, you guys, you speak of confidence and developing your own confidence and in yourself. And I think it's an interesting parallel with Cassandra because she's had to develop confidence in a different way. And so, Cassandra, I I wanted to know, like, what is what are your tips for just developing confidence in yourself as a woman? I mean, for for me, it's an ongoing journey and especially kind of shifting outside of modeling and having that not be so much my singular identity. Um, I'm still modeling and I will continue to do so. But I need to be a woman that that is not my worth and my label. I think confidence comes in just respecting what your needs are, I think is a big part of it. Um, whether that's with friendships or family or your partners or yourself is when you feel strong and good about, and you feel like you deserve what you're asking for in terms of communication, your needs to be met, that raise that, you know, that attention from your partner, uh, any need that you need, you have, I think that if you just are confident in that, then your confidence really is boosted, whether or not you feel like you've haven't lost that last five pounds or you haven't, you know, put on makeup in a week or you, whatever you're struggling with in your own insecurities still just, I always try to remind myself that I deserve my, my needs and wants. That's amazing. Is a big thing for me. And I will say too, with being with Eric and seeing how he respects his body and mm. his needs, I've actually become incredibly more gentle to myself and incredibly more accepting of my needs as well. Like I thought going into this relationship, I would need to taper my own pain, taper my own insecurities, um, swallow down the days that I don't want to get out of bed, but I do when actually he's helped me embrace those moments within myself more than I ever have before. And I just, I've let go of a lot of pressure, a lot of societal Mm. pressure and learning myself throughout this relationship. And I think that societal pressure is a big confidence dam. It causes a lot of damage in women's confidence. Mm. And I think that to let go of that is a, is really the key for me that I'm finding right now in my life. That's such beautiful advice. Yeah, it's really, really beautiful <laughs> advice. I think a lot of caregivers um, listening to this are just going to be so inspired. And I just wanted to touch base on how do you guys feel about being 
I'm not going to use the word inspirational because I feel like that's overused, but how do you guys feel being role models for other couples in our community? Because, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat it. You mm-hmm. guys definitely are right. uh, role models. I mean, I know, Eric, everyone knows you in the spinal cord injury community. You're you're a role model to many men. Yeah. And I feel like you and Cassandra as a couple being introduced to the community on on our page and being so involved in the community. It's just it's really you guys are role models. You're your couple goals for us. And how do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, no. And I mean, at the very least, you know that there's going to be somebody that that sees your story and it's like, hey, he can do it. She can do it. We can do it, too. Right. That's the biggest takeaway from that, too. Yeah, I think I we just don't we don't really lead with the the spinal cord like we're we're together because we're hilarious and we're made for each other <laughs> and be, because we're complimentary and we're you know because we we can riff and go back and forth and because our our attitudes and spirits are so aligned and similar i think yeah. it's less about kind of overcoming obstacles and more about just finding your person i think i don't know babe what do you got yeah i mean i agree with everything that you're saying and i think that it's you know it's 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 an honor but also kind of uh not overwhelming but it's it's a bit like oh wow like people look up to me, you know, it, mm-hmm. I, it's, it feels like something I don't necessarily deserve. You know, I, I came into Eric's life when he's about 12 years out uh, of his injury and he is very self-sufficient. Um, at the same time, think, thankfully I'm six feet tall and I'm great at changing light bulbs. Um, no, but, but I think end of the day though, I think that we don't always choose I don't think I, I, I really hope that honest, true role models aren't people that are actively trying to chase that role. And it is something that comes from your a natural spirit and something that touches other people that you have, hopefully organically. And I will say that I think the way Eric and I relate to each other and our own connection, I, you know, I want to say that it also inspires other people and other relationships mm-hmm. because we are just we're each other's teammates. And I think that I, so if I can be a role model to someone who's feeling a little lost in this world and navigating perhaps a new, a partner's new injury, like I will take that. I will take whatever I can give to help someone else's day be a little bit brighter in the sense of just day by day, moment by moment and celebrating your relationship and leaning into it and knowing that, yeah, like we need to talk about accessibility. We need to talk about your health and your flexibility. And we need to be aware of those things. Just like I need to be aware about my own body and my own self care. Mm-hmm. And the end of the day, I, the relationship is so much bigger than that. And so beyond that. And mm-hmm. I think that if you can just lead with the bond you have with someone and support women in this community that need to remember that bond. I think that that's like, that's a success. Well, that just reinforces, you know, what Elena and I always talk about on our page. And that is the injury it and the stuff you have to deal with fades over time. And it mm-hmm. really is about the person. You don't even see the wheelchair after a while. You don't even see the stuff that you have to go through because it becomes normal in your world. And it's just, it's not about that anymore. It's about the person. So talking to you guys has really reinforced that. Yeah. And at the same time, it's also really great to talk, talk to people who can laugh and understand the funny struggles that you face. And that's the beautiful thing about this community is 
it is about the person on both sides, mm-hmm. but it's also really nice to be able to complain about mm-hmm. people who invite you over with three steps to their house and not exactly. have to like, you know, feel well, bad about no one else that gets or it. that. Exactly. Like it is amazing that we're all kind of speaking this language that yeah. you don't know until you know it. And that's just a prime example of why we asked you to be our social ambassador, Cassandra, because you just embody the true meaning of WAGs of SEI. Like you embody that empowerment and that support, but also normalizing this and and using your voice for good and we we just wanted to thank you for for that Mm -hmm. absolutely well thank you guys i mean you guys have been you know i i found you guys very early on in this relationship but it's beautiful amazing relationship that i found i found you guys very quickly after and it it you know it definitely i mean eric and i talk about everything but it definitely helped me as well. It helped me kind of find that information I needed to find before I was comfortable asking certain questions. Like it allowed, it allowed me to go into this relationship and build it with a confidence without needing to, you know, it it just allowed us to just be us. Yeah. Just hearing that makes it all worth it, to be honest. It It really, really does. And when you say, you know, you don't feel inspirational, Brooke and I were like, we're just two people like literally trying to have a voice for our community. So people don't feel alone. We don't feel necessarily inspirational. But hearing what you're saying now, you know, having that access to the plethora of information that is WAGs of SEI, that's incredible. I mean, if we can do anything right, that that's definitely it is uh, to be able to include all this information and give access to women to be like, hey, you're not alone. You yeah. got this girlfriend. Yeah, and, and just resources. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. totally. You and can do it. <laughs> of course, of course, because you can do it. Um, question for both of you to kind of, I don't know, leave our viewers with a little thought. What is your, both of your number one advice, if you could choose anything for another couple that is either just beginning their relationship or new to their relationship, what would you say your biggest advice would be babe <laughs> I, I, mean, I would say humor I, that's I would just say humor and, and going going along kind of with what we were talking about and what Cassandra just brought up it's it's you know lead with your personality first mm-hmm. you know just find out how you work together in conversation and you know fortunately we're we're sort of blessed in this world where we are all tied together on social media and the world is smaller. So you can kind of get a sense of who somebody is so much quicker without taking them at face value or without, you know, looking at the struggles, obviously all that stuff um, comes along and it's, it's along for the ride. But I think, you know, once you find your person and you find someone that you can risk with and laugh with, everything else gets so much easier. Yeah. That's really, really great advice. That is absolutely and it, I mean, you have to be able to laugh at, at what you're going through, good and bad. And and if you can't laugh with somebody, then you know you're not in the right situation or relationship, I guess. Right. I mean, and that, and that goes for everybody. Yes, right. Yeah. Everything. And I was just about to say that that goes for all so, so social interactions with your friends, with your family, um, with your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, you guys. Yeah, thank you guys. And letting us have you on. And I know that we we had some uh, surprise questions for you. So thank you for answering all of those. We are so delighted to be able to share this with our community. Yeah, thank you guys once again. And I know you have very busy schedules. So thank you for taking the time to just let 
our viewers into your life and you just gave some amazing advice and amazing stories and we're just very very grateful that we connected with you guys well thank yeah. you guys so much yeah thank you guys for being organizers of this community i know it's it's meant the world to cassandra to be able to kind of find camaraderie and sisters within you know similar situations and i just think it's incredible what you guys do so anything we can do for you down the road let us know thank you that means a lot coming thank from you so here. much you guys <laughs> thank you yeah, yeah. thank you guys and thank yeah you, you guys you guys want to come over and watch a movie <laughs> yes, <laughs> so thank you bring, bring very much to Eric and Cassandra for taking the time and thank you guys for tuning in to our new podcast and we will see you next time. Cheers. This episode is brought to you by Anchor Medical Supplies. Give Jessica and Paul a call today at 1-833-667-8669 or you can visit their website at anchormedsupplies.com and tell them the wags of SCI sent you.